This is Doubting Mark, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dalimar. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalimar. All right. Welcome and thank you for joining us on this 152nd episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me as happily, <laughs> what are what do we got going on right now? Um, Brittany Page. Well, typically we mean mug each other um, before the show starts and it causes some laughter. So yeah. I was laughing. Yes, you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I am actually happy to do the show right now. I, I'm not tired. I'm not. I mean, I had my first week of grad school last week. So not being tired is a is a development in, in your life, especially since right now it is 1119 p.m. On Sunday evening, mm-hmm. the 30th of August, 2015. I don't know why I had to throw that the year. That is very correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, very accurate. Yeah. Very precise. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now it's 1120. Okay. <laughs> well, I did take like a four hour nap today. Oh, so yeah. That my, is that considered a nap? Um, I know people who get that much sleep each and every day. <laughs> that is not healthy. <laughs> So, so other than that, what's uh, what's going on? The weekend was filled with your typical Costco excursions and mall shopping. Uh, it was yeah. yes, we did go to Costco, and that's actually a good point that you raised because I did want to talk about something that happened at the Costco, the Costco. Uh, oh no! Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I should let this continue. So we were sitting and eating because at Costco, they have a food court. As as we've talked about before in our different times that we've discussed Costco and the hot dogs and the people who clog up the aisles waiting for their samples of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yes. Costco can be a... Living a, hell. A hellscape. That was exactly <laughs> where I was going with that. Yes. Especially on a Saturday. And especially the food court, which apparently is never cleaned. Never They cleaned. don't have someone working and bussing tables at the Costco food court. I think what they what their plan is is just to have the 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 errant raccoons and <laughs> and nocturnal animals come in the middle of the night and lick the tables clean. And, you know, maybe empty the trashes. I don't know. Okay, if there's footage of that, I'm never going to Costco again. (laughs) But it's always crazy-ass filthy. Right. So we were sitting in the filth and eating (laughs) a delicious snack because they do have good hot dogs and pizza. All right, let's not turn this into a commercial. And all of a sudden, I see Jesse kind of, like, twitching, like... Like he's on alert, and usually that means a small child is about to choke around us. Anyway, because... <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about the germs. No, so he jumps up, and I turn around, and there's this very elderly woman who is having difficulty exiting her van. Like she's trying to get her walker, but she's having difficulty. Well, I didn't. 
this is unplanned. I didn't expect this to be a, a, an advertisement for my philanthropic deeds. <laughs> but there was an old lady, and she was getting out of the passion. And I mean old lady. I mean, she was for sure in her 90s. Or she just was not a well-kept 70-year-old woman. But she was getting out of the passenger seat, and the driver of the vehicle was yelling at her to, like, hurry, or I couldn't hear it, but there were, you know, there was commotion. Well, that's not helpful. Yeah, so I jumped up, and I went over there, and I, they, the passenger, or the, the driver wanted the old lady to get out and use her little shuffler, her little, it's like a walker on wheels kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. It's got, like, a handbrake on it. Mm-hmm. And she wanted, the driver wanted the old lady to get over there into the shade and stand and wait while she parked the car amidst the chaos and the confusion. Right. And so that woman trusted you to help her, <laughs> her, however they were related, this person out of the car and, and take her to safety. And you were gone for, I don't know, three to five minutes. Like you, you spent some time with this woman and abandoned your food. And I wasn't watching it. I'm sure several well, flies landed it was, on it. Listen, I don't want, it's not me S and my D or look at me, look at me, but it was just a weird thing that no one, you know, th- th- there may have been hundreds of people there, and no one was g- going to go help this lady. So, I, I, you know, I don't think I sprang into action, but I went over there. You sprang into action. And it, I, it was weird to me that then people were looking at me like either a, a sinister kind of a what's he up to? Why is he, what's he going to do over there? <laughs> With that old lady? Yeah, it was just weird. I and mean, then, the elderly lady? Yeah, well, she's an old lady. I, I'm trying to use the bias-free language, <laughs> but I can't remember what was and was not appropriate because I think elder was also yeah, bad. Elder's yeah, elder's no good. All but right. Anyway, so that's that was just the deal. It was very weird. It, it was weird. And it, it's not a, it really, I, I, I want to stress, it is not... This is not a vehicle for us to talk about how awesome and wonderful I am because yeah, I'm not that great a guy. But it, it certainly was weird to me that no one was helping. And then when someone did go help, I was looked upon suspiciously. Yeah. Which is, I know you were suspicious, but mainly because there were, you know, multiple flies that had possibly landed on my hot dogs that I left there while, yeah. while going to hell. Well, we all know that you don't care about germs because... <laughs> and we all know that you greatly do you care came about back. germs. Well, first of all, I'm very uncomfortable sitting at the food court because it's very dirty. <laughs> There's nowhere that it's clean. They should have some sanitizing wipes available for people that are eating there. Or just a hose <laughs> that you could spray off your table Yeah, filled with, with Purell. That would be good for you. Yeah, because at these tables... I mean, you are eating with the filth of hundreds of people that have eaten there before you, and you can see all of their food particles on the table. Their leavings. Yeah, (laughs) dried pizza sauce and dried saliva, probably, and just all kinds of stuff. And I look at you, and you have... There's lots of DNA. Right. So I look at you, and you have your your arms down, touching the table, like cleaning the table with your arms. Anyway. And you're just wiping, like your hands are on the table. And my <laughs> my phone is on a folded up napkin, not touching the table. Yeah, well, you, you're, you're very meticulous about your germ prevention, your ger- germ transmission prevention <laughs> procedures. Yeah. Well, it's weird because you're the one who never gets sick and I'm the one who, sim- you know, 
I'm the one who gets sick every now and again. So oh, every now and again. Anyway, it's not all the time. God damn. Yeah. Okay. And let's also. I know that I'm being a weirdo about my my stuff with with the table because it's not that big of a deal. I should just you know handle it. Right. But it's in my head where I feel like ugh, and I feel better if my phone is on a napkin and. I just feel better being a weirdo, I guess. Right, right. All right. Well, let's let's move on from what a great guy I am and what a germaphobe weirdo Brittany is. <laughs> <laughs> we like to start the show with uh, listener feedback, and today is no different. Last time on the show, we talked a little bit about our decision to not talk about the shooting specifically last time. We briefly talked about what it was because we mentioned it and we, we felt an obligation and we received a voicemail directly about the shooting that we wanted to address. Hey, guys. Ben here. I uh, just wanted to comment on the Virginia shooting as it kind of hit a little close to home for me. Um, Allison, the reporter, her and I are alumni of James Madison University, and uh, we share a lot of uh, mutual friends through different departments there, uh, different organizations, as well as uh, just that university in particular having a really tight-knit um, sense of school spirit and uh, alumni spirit. Um, and I just wanted to comment on the reaction by people I'm seeing on Facebook and other places comparing this shooting to other shootings recently that have kind of led to this Black Lives Matter movement. And all these people are kind of saying that, you know, riots are happening in reaction to the Virginia shooting and people aren't calling for um, protests uh, saying, you know, white lives matter. And it just, it, it doesn't make sense to me because it doesn't seem that this shooting wasn't about systematic racism that existed in, you know, that newsroom structure or that organization. It just seemed to me like it was an extreme act of anger. It, it it just looked like an isolated incident of anger, not against the particular race of anyone or sexual orientation, because that has been um, another issue people are bringing up, but just against those people in particular. And, and it was kind of perpetrated by a guy who had previous problems with anger. I mean, it had been reported that when he was let go, that was a big concern for safety. And so I think the comparison to the systematic treatment of or mistreatment of black Americans by police officers that prompted Black Lives Matter is just an unfair comparison for the Virginia shooting. So I'd really like to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Um, love the show. Keep on keeping on. Thanks, guys. A couple things here. One, I largely agree with, with Ben, the caller. I, I think that he's he's on point with a lot of things. However, I think that to, to, to categorize what took place in Virginia live on the air when these two reporters, well, the reporter and her cameraman were, were murdered, to, to, to categorize it as an isolated act of anger or an extreme act of anger, I think those are the words that, that Ben used, I think that's, that's incorrect. And to try to completely disassociate this shooting from from racism i don't know how how that's done when the the shooter in this case uh whatever he has got a weird name but we'll go with bryce williams his on the air name 
Vester Lee Flanagan. That's right. Vester Flanagan. Um, he said like in his crazy rambling manifesto, if you want to call it, that is 23 pages that he sent to the news agent, the news agency. His fax to the news yeah, agency. Yeah, he faxed it. He said, he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's something very close to speaking to Dylan Roof, saying something about, listen, if you want a fucking race war, I'll give you a race war. He actually said, quote, why did I do it? I put down a deposit for a gun on 6 The church shooting in Charleston happened on 6 so he's illustrating that two days after that right. shooting, he went out and bought a gun. What sent me over the top was the church shooting, and my hollow point bullets have the victim's initials on them. Yeah. As for Dylan Roof, you want a race war. Bring it then, you white something. They, they redacted it Yeah. for the curse word. So th- there was clearly some racial motivation here, whether it be retaliation for the terrible events that took place in South Carolina or just used as motivation for someone who was already unhinged mentally. Right. He did say in his manifesto that he encountered nasty racist things while working at this news agency where he shot the reporter and the cameraman. And I think maybe what the point that Ben is trying to say is a lot of the arguments I'm seeing are this Flanagan was a gay man and a rainbow flag was found in his apartment. And people are trying to say, oh, well, should rainbow flags be banned? Because obviously that was, you know, a motivation. And just like the Confederate flags were banned, these flags need to be banned. And those kind of arguments just um, are illogical. Yeah, it doesn't. I don't see the you know, you know what else was found in Flanagan's apartment? Buckets and buckets of cat poop. Are we going to ban cat poop because we found cat poop? In his apartment in abundance. Yeah, I don't know if they were they were in buckets. <laughs> All over the apartment, though. I heard it was a bad situation. Yeah. Not very clean. Which, which I, you know, I, I make fun of, but it does kind of lead us to, you know, he was... He meant, was not in a good state. Yeah, he's not definitely not in a good state when he's able to live in those conditions. Right. So this is someone that definitely could have used help and, and could have used an intervention, but... I've seen lots of arguments saying, well, two white people were killed. You're not going to be seeing uh, white people protesting, rioting, saying white lives matter. And it's it's just a a disingenuous argument to make because it's not taking nuance into. For sure. You know, not all of these shootings that occur happen for the same reasons. They're not the same. Right. Well, also, white people, there's no need to riot or protest over the killing of two white people. Because white people haven't, for hundreds of years, been systematically oppressed by black people. Well, and it's also taking something away from the argument. And it, you know, are these people that are trying to say that, oh, you'll never see white lives matter happening? Are you trying to say that there is no police brutality issue and that it's not specifically against? black people are you are you saying that there's not something going on there it's either a stupid argument or just intellectually dishonest yes i don't (laughs) i don't want to just make it so cut and dry that it's either or Eh, but come on you know it's pretty clear what's going on here and to ignore it is that you really want to believe what your your misunderstanding of the situation is is or you're 
you're just not very smart. People are also saying, you know, the Dylan Roof shooting in Charleston. Oh, people were saying that that was motivated by race. And now people are saying this Vester Flanagan, well, we need to do something about guns. And why is one about race and one is about guns? And well, Dylan Roof was clearly a racist. Yes. And the gun argument was talked about. It, it was, For yes. sure it was talked and, about. And that's where I'm talking about the nuance. So looking at every case and saying, well, what was what was the cause here? What happened here? And trying to figure that out instead of just this blanket statement for all shootings. Right. I mean, that's just weird to me. It makes no sense. No sense at all. Anyway, thank you very much for the call. If you have anything to add to this or any other topic, 657-464-7609. That is our voicemail line. If you happen to be voicemail averse, you can email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Moving on. A little follow-up. Rowan County, Kentucky, the home of County Clerk Kim Davis it looks like she may be in trouble relative to her refusal to issue marriage licenses to gay couples in her county. We're following a developing story tonight involving Rowan County Clerk Kim Davis. Earlier this evening, the Rowan County Attorney's Office referred a charge of official misconduct against Davis to the Attorney General's Office. That was among a flurry of legal appeals, requests, and filings in the case today. Garrett Weimer is in the studio to help us make sense of the latest developments. Garrett. Marvin, federal court documents show attorneys for Rowan County Clerk Kim Davis filed an emergency petition with the United States Supreme Court today. She also asked U.S. District Judge David Bunning to extend her stay, not requiring her to issue marriage licenses while she appeals. Bunning denied that request just hours later, but now Davis herself could soon face charges. Rowan County Attorney Cecil Watkins says his office cannot prosecute Kim Davis for official misconduct because they're already currently involved in litigation with her. So they've referred that charge against her to the Kentucky Attorney General's office. In a release from the county attorney's office, Watkins says they, quote, cannot take any other action against Kim Davis. No authority exists for her removal or suspension from office by Rowan County government. Kentucky state government is the only entity that can move to have Kim Davis removed as Rowan County clerk. A spokesperson for the attorney general's office tells us they're looking into it. This all comes just a day after Davis's office again refused to issue marriage licenses to a same-sex couple. In her emergency petition to Supreme Court Justice Alina Kagan on Friday, Davis's attorneys write, quote, if a same-sex marriage license is issued with Davis' name, authorization, and approval, no one can unring that bell. That searing act of validation would forever echo in her conscience. And yet the SSM mandate demands that she either fall in line, her conscience be damned, or leave office. Her livelihood and job for three decades in the clerk's office be damned. As for the process, now that the Rowan County Attorney's Office has referred that charge against Davis to the Attorney General, County Attorney Cecil Watkins says the AG's office typically refers conflict cases like that to a prosecutor from another county. Live in the studio, I'm Garrett Weimer for the Fox 56 10 o'clock news. Judge Bunning's original stay was scheduled to expire at the end of the month. That is where we are. We're waiting for the Supreme Court to decide, I guess, whether they're going to intervene. <laughs> or whether they're going to tell her to do 
her goddamn job. That's that clip contains some new information that I didn't know, like that she has had this job for three decades. Right. And it's very strange to me that this is so important to her. It is bizarre. Her her counterpart, Casey Davis, no relation, in in the same state, he recently did a bike ride, some kind of a of a, a, a fundraiser or an awareness race where he rode his bike from his county to Rowan County. And he's been doing press talking about this issue because he also refuses to issue marriage licenses to gay couples in his county to do his job. Well, he was on a radio show and I want to express to the audience and really get across just how fanatical these people are. Just how important this issue is to them. It's a war on Christianity. And if there was ever a time that we can all be of one mind and one accord, it's now. Because surely we can agree by the blood of Christ that there is a travesty taking place with the Supreme that Supreme Court ruling was completely unconstitutional. Completely unconstitutional. They had no right to tell us, the state of Kentucky, that our law that was voted with over seventy percent of the people that, that that it was wrong. They had no right. Section twenty six of the of the Bill of Rights of the Kentucky Constitution and I, I'm no I'm gonna misquote it, but it clearly says that the higher powers, which were delegated by this body, has has it, should they ever deem any sort of law that would be contrary to our Bill of Rights, that that it would be void, that that law would be void. Right. I, 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 I wish I wish everyone listening this morning would take the time to look at Section 26 of the Bill of Rights of the state of Kentucky and tell me how it is that anyone, any Supreme Court judge or otherwise cannot recognize that what they've done is completely unlawful. They, it is completely unlawful. Our law says one man and one woman, and that is what I held my hand up and took an oath to, and that is what I expect to. If it takes it, I'll go to jail over. If it takes my life, I will die for it because I believe I owe that to the people that's fought so I can have the freedom that I have. I owe that to them today. And you do. We all do. They fought and died so we could have this freedom. I'm going to fight and die so my kids and your kids can keep it. He's willing to die for the right to discriminate against someone based solely on their sexual orientation. He's willing to die to prevent people from getting married. Right. And just for the record, because he implored us to look up Section 26 of the Kentucky Bill of Rights, it's Section 26, General Powers Subordinate to Bill of Rights, hyphen, laws contrary thereto are void. To guard against transgression of the high powers which we have delegated, we declare that everything in this Bill of Rights is accepted out of the general powers of government and shall forever remain inviolate, and all laws contrary thereto or contrary to this Constitution shall be void. What the, what the gentleman from Kentucky is failing to understand 
is that the general constitution of, of Kentucky may be subordinate to the Kentucky Bill of Rights, but the Kentucky Bill of Rights is subordinate to the United States Constitution. So if the Bill of Rights of Kentucky or the Constitution of Kentucky are in violation of the federal United States Constitution, then the, the federal one rules because it's the higher power. He just, it is baffling to me that he is in some position of power as a county clerk allowed to not administer, not issue marriage licenses to gay couples and straight couples alike right now. And he still has a job. Do your job. Yeah, it's still, I mean, the the point that I'm hung up on is the fact that he's saying that he's willing to die <laughs> because he's he's so attached to this idea of preventing people from getting married. And it's just very interesting to me. I mean, I, I would really be interested to have an in-depth conversation with him to really understand, I mean, because it seems so petty to me. I mean, it's just people getting married. I don't, I don't understand how it well, is. What is, what is worth? He, it's not just I'm willing to die. He says I'm willing to fight and die. Who, who are you going to be fighting that would be that would cause your death? Right, right. And I mean, when I say it's petty, it's a big thing for for people to be able to have this right and to be able to get married. I'm saying it just should be viewed petty to him because it doesn't really affect him. And what does it matter? And, and all the same things that you've heard. And it's just weird to hear someone so passionate about the idea of oppressing people and preventing them from <laughs> right. having access to something. Right. That his, it's kind of scary. His rights are being violated. And I know we've said this on the show many, many, many times. But his rights are at stake. His rights are being violated. His rights to oppress a population of people based on how they were born. It is disgusting that he would hide behind his mythology to try to get this through. So Casey Davis and Kim Davis, I guess we will continue to follow this amazing story. Unfortunately, we will. Also, unfortunately, it looks like we're going to continue to c cover the Ashley Madison fiasco. It looks like from some data that's been analyzed and some people who are, who are kind of combing through all of the, the hack um, release that it, it kind of was a sausage fest over there. Yeah, so the info that <laughs> the info that the hackers published contained about 31 million accounts apparently belonging to men and about 5 million apparently belonging to women. So Your odds weren't good. No. And Annalee Newitz, the Gizmodo editor in chief, dug deeper into the data and found a bunch of test accounts that ended with ashleymadison.com oh, suggesting wow. that they were created internally. 90% of them were for women, as well as 350 female accounts for people with the same and very unusual last name. Then she found three really damning pieces of data. Only 1,492 of the women in the database had ever opened their inbox to check their messages on the site. Wait, That's wait, wait, wait. How many? 1,492. So 1,500 women only... Out of all of the members, out of the millions of members, actually went in and opened their mailboxes. To check their messages. <laughs> 
That's compared with more than 20 million men. Wow. That yeah. is, that's big time. I mean, that this is, to me, this would seem to, to rise to the level of criminality and fraud. Only 2,409 of the women had ever used the site's chat function versus more than 11 million men. Wow. That is... That's just not a lot of women for that many men. I'd be looking for a refund, you know? Well... Pretty crazy. Yeah. Only 9,700 of the women had ever responded to a message from another person on the site versus almost 6 million men. This number was greater than the number of women who checked the messages because it's possible to answer messages in bulk when you first visit the site without ever opening your inbox. Oh, okay. So it's possible that most of the women signed up but never did anything. But in terms of these numbers of responding to messages and chatting... Uh, it seems like it was, you know, just a bunch of guys and not a lot of ladies. <laughs> like I said, sausage party. And <laughs> and that was really the, you know, one of the main points behind the hackers intent, I think, is that they said, you know, listen, they they had you pay $19 to wipe all your data. Guess what? They scammed you. Yeah, they and they didn't they didn't wipe the data. Right. They took your money. Right. And they were making claims that, you know, this is a very shady business, that other stuff was going on that that people didn't know about. Right. So. Well, that's not it. That's not we're not going to just leave it there. It looks like the CEO of Ashley Madison of this corporation called Avid Life Media was trying to have a an app developed that would allow men to submit pictures of their wives and submit them to rate and review. Isn't, isn't that, do I have that right? Yeah, so the app was intended to let husbands scroll through pictures of wives, and then they could vote to be ranked out of 10, okay, but also in dollars. Oh, wow. So give like a monetary, like how much they're worth or how much they're worth to have sex with. Um, I don't know, but either way, no. That's uh, new depth. That they're sinking to. It's I mean, really, very it's disturbing. It's like in their conference room, th- they sit around and say, you know, how shitty can we be? Yes. How, how can we be further <laughs> depraved? Right. What What else can we do here? How much more can we disrespect not only the <laughs> sanctity of marriage, but also women in general? Yeah. God damn. But but the good news. So after an employee apparently told the bosses that the app was horribly developed, it seemed to have stalled. So they had some issues with the development aspect of it. Of course, not the idea. The idea was gold. Oh, rock um, solid. Yeah, Are you kidding me? But just creating the app apparently was a problem. So the CEO, like you mentioned, there's some communications that were leaked during the hack. And uh, I think maybe the app was going to be called Choice. And the uh. CEO, Noel Biderman, he said, Choice should be post your wife and bid on someone's wife. So maybe even encroaching into the marketplace of you know arranging sexual encounters maybe i mean that's kind of what that sounds like i mean i'm not sure but it just seems like there's some there's some screenshots and i don't know what these are but it says what's your wife worth and then it shows a woman with a rank of 8.25 and how many votes she has and I don't see any any dollar signs on it, but... No, well, that language is pretty vague, but, you know, it, given the history of the company and what we know they've been involved in, 
It wouldn't surprise me if that was what they were going for. Ugh. And in reading this article, I just I just saw something really quick. Sorry, while you were talking. <laughs> it says, it has emerged that only three in every 10,000 female accounts on the site were real. Three in 10,000? Yeah. Wow. So that's just another way, I guess, to frame it in how many female accounts compared to men accounts. Well, if you were a terrible person and looking for an extramarital affair on this site, maybe you should be looking for a refund because... It doesn't sound like they were living up to their end of the bargain. All right. Support for I Doubt It with Dolomore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dolomore. And we definitely do appreciate our Patreon supporters. If you too would like to, you can listen to what the lovely British lady just said. <laughs> and also know that we are planning these next few debates. We are going to make them available only to our Patreon subscribers. So if you'd like to join the ranks of our supporters on Patreon, do so. All right, big, it's going to be a big Dollamocracy segment today, so hold on tight. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Wow. We usually, like I've said before, <laughs> we usually leave our voicemails or play our voicemails at the top of the show. However, when they, I guess we're going to have to start doing this. When we get Dollamocracy specific, we're going to have to play them during the segment. We did receive a voicemail and uh, it deals with none other than the wonderful, tremendous... <laughs> Tremendous candidate, Donald Trump. Hi, guys. Dan from California. Uh, this will be my third voicemail I've left you guys in the last, like, two years. And it's the second about Donald Trump. So, obviously, one topic holds a little more weight with me than, than others. Uh, man, the disingenuousness with which he talks about his religious beliefs is kind of shocking uh, in that he doesn't even seem to... Either he doesn't care to or he's unable to put forth the effort to even make it vaguely appear like he has religious leanings of any kind. It's not even, I don't even know whether he's doing enough to pander. It's offensive. It's, I'm, I'm a non-believer and it's offensive to me that things that other people take seriously, he would treat them the way he's treating them. I, I don't even know that I can think of adjectives for how he's approaching his, like, the religious aspect of his campaign. I just forced myself, I just hate-watched the Sarah Palin-Donald Trump interview. Took me a couple, took me a lot of pausing it and walking away from my computer to get my, like, stupidity radar to reset to zero so I could continue to watch, like, another minute, and then I'd have to take a break. Um, I don't know what to think anymore about the American electoral process. She calls 
someone asking him what his favorite Bible verse is, a, a gotcha question, which I guess is as much of a gotcha question as name a newspaper, uh, which she had problems with in 08. <laughs> it's, it's this weird, like, scary mix of stupid and argumentative and arrogant. He, he's completely blowing my mind. Like, he's, he has the, the worst personality possible. If you were to make a personality cocktail, he's the worst <laughs> possible president. Like, I, I think it goes without standing. Every other president is human, has, can, can at least manufacture empathy, can make you feel like he's actually thought about things. I mean, even guys you don't agree with. Like, I don't, I don't agree with uh, Bush Jr. on much, but I think as a person, I think he's a reasonable person. Like, I don't, I don't agree with him on almost any, any choice he made in office, but that, I don't think he's a bad guy. I think Donald Trump is a bad guy. Like, I, he's just, he's blowing my mind with his ability to be 0% human, and yet that somehow makes him more personable to the right. I can't, what's he going to do to blow up his campaign? He's, he's already done everything you can do to embarrass yourself, and somehow it makes him stronger. So I hope somebody runs up and snatches uh, the lead at some point, but I don't know how that's going to happen. He's just going to have to melt down in one of the, one of the uh, debates once it gets down to the final six or seven. So Dan is a huge fan of Donald Trump. <laughs> Loves yeah. him. Well, thanks. It sounds like they're in the same income bracket because it sounded like he was calling us from his airplane. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I share your frustration. In fact, Dan was so frustrated that he, he initiated, he messaged us, and he initiated me to put on YouTube last episode's little tirade that I went on about this very issue with Trump pandering in this weird half-assed way to the religious right. Well, a lot has happened since then. Even more, even more has happened since then, specifically related to this whole religion thing. And we're going to play two clips here. One is where Donald Trump refuses or cannot name, and I would go with the latter, he can't name his favorite verse in the Bible. He's such a tremendous, tremendous Christian, but he can't name Presbyterian. One, one single verse in the Bible. And then we'll go from there to a part of the Sarah Palin interview on the poor man's Fox News, One America News Network. And uh, it's just, it is a shit show extraordinaire. Okay. You mentioned the Bible. You've been talking about how it's your favorite book. And you said, I think last night in Iowa, some people are surprised that you say that. I'm wondering what one or two of your most favored Bible uh, verses are well, and why. I, I wouldn't want to get into it because to me that's very personal. You know, when I talk about the Bible, it's very personal. So I don't want to get into there's verses. No, there's I don't no want to get into There's no, no verse that means I a lot just, to you that you think about or cite. The, the Bible means a lot to me, but I don't want to get into specifics. Even to cite a verse that no, you like. No, I don't want to do that. You're I mean, an Old okay. Testament guy or a New Testament guy? Uh, probably equal. I think it's just an incredible the whole Bible is an incredible. I joke uh, very much so. They always hold up the art of the deal. I say my second favorite book of all time. 
So it's so funny because every time I hear him talk at, you know, these town hall meetings and his little conferences that he has, he always says, first of all, I'm, I'm Protestant. I'm Presbyterian. Right. He's always talking about his faith. Right. So it's, it's so personal to him. He can't even name one scripture. Right. Your charge in the Bible by Christ is to spread the good news of Jesus. (laughs) You're supposed to be, you know, sending the word of God out there. There's another scripture that talks about the word of God shall not go forth void. Well, he has an opportunity here to express to someone the words of God. Why would he not want to do that? Well, it's weird, too, that he he can't offer up just one scripture. He says it's too he says it's too personal. Right, right. How is it too personal? So when pastors are like <laughs> preaching at, at, at the front of their church and when they're reading scripture, it's like, oh, should they be doing that? That's kind of personal. <laughs> um, it's like private information. Well, the next day he went on, like I said, the poor man's Fox News one American News Network. Which, oh boy! If you've ever watched this, holy shit! It's almost like someone is running it out of their garage. It's kind of like that, but it's if someone was running a news channel out of their garage and trying to be Fox News. Oh, exactly. This is what it would be. Well, he's on. Apparently, Sarah Palin has a show, or at the very least, they gave her a, an outlet to interview Donald Trump, and she specifically honed in on this not answering the question. But instead of thinking that it's an indictment of Donald Trump that he didn't know one single scripture, she labeled it a gotcha question, like Dan said in his voicemail. So you get hit with these gotchas like most conservatives do. For instance, they asking, what's your favorite Bible verse? And I'm listening to that going, what? Do they ask Hillary that? Uh, what does it have to do with um, running for the office of the presidency? Uh, it, is it anybody's business? Uh, these personal gotcha questions really trying to get you, us, any anybody running for office off game. Uh, how are you finding that and, and uh, finding a technique to put them in their place so that the American public isn't wasting their time and they actually get to hear what's important via a candidate's message? Apparently the Bible is not important. Well, you saw that. You know, I love the Bible and I'm a Protestant, I'm Presbyterian and... <laughs> They were hitting me with different questions one after another. And, uh, you know, look, I don't know if it's uh, got you, but probably is. And then they said, what's your favorite verse? And, you know, that's a very personal thing. I don't like giving that out to <laughs> two people that you hardly know. And frankly, uh, I don't know if they are fair questions or not fair questions. But, you know, there are certain things that you and myself and a lot of other people like to keep personal. But I love the Bible. It's, uh, I was, it actually started where somebody held up the book, The Art of the Deal. I said, that's my second favorite book. But my first favorite book by far is the Bible. So, uh, but it's all worked out very well. You know, interestingly, in the last poll... He's acting like his favorite scripture is like equivalent to his STD status. <laughs> like there's certain things that are just too personal to talk about. They're right. not up for public consumption. She, they didn't ask you, are you circumcised or uncircumcised? <laughs> yeah. How long is your penis, Dr. Or, uh, Donald Trump? Yeah. They, they asked your favorite scripture. When I was a, was a Christian, my favorite scripture was Philippians 4.13. I mean... There you go. There were not too personal to talk about. I had plenty. I had plenty that I loved. 
I love, there were plenty of scriptures that I loved. I mean, my, it wouldn't have been for God so loved the world and blah, blah, blah. It was things like, you know, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. There's so many he could have chosen and why waste and squander an opportunity if you're such a, a devout Protestant Presbyterian. Protestant <laughs> Presbyterian. Why would you pass on an opportunity to minister to likely voters? That's what's really ridiculous about Sarah Palin's question, although there were many things, is when she said, are reporters asking Hillary Clinton this question? Well, when is Hillary Clinton standing in front of crowds talking about how she's a Presbyterian? The Bible. Oh, the Bible's my favorite book. It's the number one book. Tremendous, tremendous book. I haven't seen anywhere where Hillary Clinton is talking about her faith or the Bible. Right. That's not really a talking point for her. Well, and then also Sarah Palin says, you know, let's get to some questions that that really matter about running the country. Well, listen, what you believe relative to faith, as evidenced by Casey Davis and Kim Davis in in North Car- or in, in in Kentucky, it does matter what you believe about the Bible to qualify you as a viable candidate for office in the United States. Well, even people who accuse still to this day Barack Obama of being a Muslim. Right. I mean, it's these people who act like faith isn't important when it is the most important thing when they're critiquing another person. Right. If you were to ask Sarah Palin what is the most important thing in her life, she would say, a Jesus, you know. She'd say it like that? She probably would, actually. (laughs) Just to be, like, filtered in with a lot of word salad bullshit. (laughs) So anyway, we're going to move on. Off of this and on to Shep Smith talking about, we love Shep Smith, but talking about Donald Trump and his continued rise in the polls and how odd and topsy-turvy things are right now because it goes Donald Trump, number one, and then Ben Carson, number two, with double digits, and then everyone else in the field at single digits or zero digits. Donald Trump just scored the highest number and biggest lead of any Republican candidate in a national poll this year. So says a Quinnipiac University survey. Donald J. Trump leads the GOP pack at 28%, more than doubling Ben Carson, who jumped into second place at 12%. And then there's Jeb Exclamation, who has (laughs) fallen into a three-way tie for third with Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. And Scott Walker has dropped from second place into single digits. Donald Trump also tops the so-called no way list. The candidates Republican voters say they will definitely not support. Jeb exclamation is number one there, followed by Chris Christie and Rand Paul. Donald Trump campaigned in the first in the South primary state of South Carolina today, said he's doing so well in the polls because his message is, quote, we're not going to take it anymore, unquote. He didn't mention his no way number. So Clinton leads the Democratic field with 45 percent, down from 55 percent July 30th, with Bernie Sanders at 22 percent and Biden at 18 percent. Of course, Biden hasn't announced. Right, right. But he's in there. They are hopeful. Many are hopeful that he will. No other candidate tops 1% with 11% undecided. This is Sanders' highest tally and closest margin. And in... The states where primaries are more imminent, the the early primary states, he's actually faring better than that on the state-to-state level primaries. So it's interesting. 
the Democratic side less than the Republican side because when you have Donald Trump being a double-digit leader in a in a plurality type of field, when you've got 17 candidates and Donald Trump is double digits ahead of the, the number two, that is alarming and perplexing. And not just to me, your humble, stupid host, it's perplexing to mega brains in polling and statistical analysis like Nate Silver at 538.com. It's, it's not just me. Right. So we just have to kind of believe it's not happening. But um, (laughs) what you were saying about the Democrats and Bernie Sanders in in the states, specifically the results of the latest Bloomberg Politics Des Moines Register Iowa poll released on Saturday. That's that's a lot going on there. (laughs) Show Clinton is now the first choice at 37 percent of likely Democratic caucus goers in the state where the first ballots of the presidential contest will be cast in early 2016. This article is horrific. (laughs) Um, she's followed by Sanders at 30%. So yeah. that is 7% in Iowa. Right, where where the, the margin of error is probably 2 or 3%. So he could be within 3 to 4% of Hillary Clinton in a very important Democratic primary state, caucus state. So everybody who's feeling the burn is very excited <laughs> by that news. Now, they talked about this no-way list, or Shepard Smith did on that yeah, clip from yeah. this Quinnipiac poll. And Clinton also tops the Democrats' no-way list, the candidates that you will not vote for, absolutely not. She tops the list at 11%. Only 11%, though. I mean, that's clearly 11% higher than she wants to be. But Trump, he is a no-way, I believe it's 26 or 27%. And maybe Shep just said that, and that's why I know that number. He is at 26%, Bush is at 18%, Christie's at 14 Paul is also at 14 Graham's at 13 So Those numbers are a little bit more easy to understand when you've got a, a field of 17 people running. Right. Anyway, it, it's, a, it's a, a, bizarre, a bizarre election cycle this year. And in terms of who you would definitely not support for the Democratic nomination, Clinton was at 11, like we said, but then there's O'Malley at 8, Chafee at 8, Biden at 8, Webb at 7. All these people, everyone's like, we don't know who these people are. <laughs> um, and Sanders has the lowest percentage Wow, at 5. Yeah. Now, this is the other interesting thing that I wanted to talk about. They did an open-ended question, and they said, you know, tell us a word to describe these candidates. And they did this with Jeb Bush, Hillary Clinton, and Donald Trump. And the Quinnipiac polls, they created these beautiful word clouds. <laughs> and I'll just read a couple of the biggest words that pop up here for um, Donald Trump. Blowhard. <laughs> I think that's two words. <laughs> Clown. Pompous. Asshole. Showman. Arrogant, outspoken, big mouth, aggressive, rich, buffoon, crazy. And you're just reading the biggest words. Yeah. Not the small ones. No. Yeah. Okay. Idiot, businessman. All right, all right. Okay. How about Hillary? Okay. Well, Hillary. Uh, Bill, liar, <laughs> untrustworthy, dishonest, woman, strong, experience, crook, corrupt. Well, at least there's some positive ones in there. Wow. Yeah. And then for Jeb, there is Bush is the biggest one. Wow. His last name. Weak, family, conservative, dynasty, brother, George, Republican, governor, 
So a lot to do with the family. Brown hair, man. <laughs> Jeb exclamation. <laughs> right. So this kind of leads us, this negative attitude for several of the candidates, but also for Hillary Clinton. She's she is she her distrust rating is off the charts right now. It's over fifty percent. I believe it's fifty one to fifty three percent right now. And that's among Democratic voters. Um she's got a problem on her hands relative to this email scandal. And this week she said something about her Republican opponents that I believe to be a calculated diversionary tactic to try to get people to stop thinking and talking and reporting on the email scandal. Now, extreme views about women, we expect that from some of the terrorist groups. We expect that from people who don't want to live in the modern world. But it's a little hard to take coming from Republicans who want to be the president of the United States, yet they espouse out-of-date and out-of-touch policies. They are dead wrong for 21st century America. All of that may be true relative to them being dead wrong for 21st century America. However, she knows very well what the backlash would be and what the reaction would be to her using terrorist and Republican in the same talking point. That's calculated. Nothing, no word that comes out of her mouth is not carefully scripted because her campaign, as we've talked about, is a well-oiled machine. Yeah, so I've seen headlines saying that she called Republicans terrorists and, yeah, and, and things like that. That is not what happened. Yeah, so that's not what happened. But she is definitely, you know, drawing somewhat of a connection between terrorist groups and Republicans behaving like terrorist groups. So like you're saying, or did you say this? Maybe not. Other people have been saying this, that she's doing this to kind of distract people from talking about the emails. That is what I said. You uh, you should listen to the show sometime. I say some good stuff. I, <laughs> you know what? I have to do a lot of reading, and I have to be prepared. Yeah, you and do. And I do that while you're talking. Yeah, you do. All right. Well, tell us. What do you think? Do you think this is diversionary? Do you think that this is just a slip of the tongue or uh, unscripted moment on the campaign trail from Hillary Clinton? 657-464-7609. Email, voice memo, smartphone, I doubt it at dollamore.com. Last up in this Dollamocracy segment is everybody's favorite, Bernie Sanders. And he was asked on the State of the Union program with Jake Tapper, J-Tap, one of our favorites, Yep, was asked a very artful question about the differences between he and Hillary Clinton. Uh, the reason I say artful is because oftentimes when you ask that question, he he goes on kind of a tirade about how he's not going to attack her. He's not going to, he's not going to start smearing, which I think is a noble, a noble position to take, but he's going to have to draw a distinction between he and the democratic front runner at some point. If he wants to overcome her in the polls, you uh, also talk about taking on the billionaire class, and you've said that Hillary Clinton, you're not sure whether or not she will take on the billionaire class. Give us some specifics where you think you would and she might not. 
I think uh, that the business model of Wall Street is fraud. And I think these guys drove us into the worst economic downturn in the modern history of America. I think they're at it again. I believe that when you have so few banks with so much power, you have to not only reestablish Glass-Steagall, but you've got to break them up. That is not Hillary Clinton's position. I believe that our trade policies, NAFTA, CAFTA, PNTR with China, have been a disaster. I am helping to lead the effort against the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That is not Hillary Clinton's position. I believe, along with Pope Francis and almost all scientists, that climate change is threatening this planet in horrendous ways and that we have to be aggressive in transforming our energy system away from fossil fuel and defeat, and defeat the Keystone Pipeline. That is not Hillary Clinton's uh, position. I believe that, as opposed to my Republican colleagues who want to cut Social Security, I believe we should expand Social Security by lifting the cap on taxable income. That's not Hillary Clinton's position. I believe that we've got to raise the minimum wage over a period of several years to 15 bucks an hour not Hillary Clinton's position. I voted against the war in Iraq. Hillary Clinton voted for it. Pretty amazing that he just rattled all that off. I mean, he was clearly prepared for a question like that because he didn't, that wasn't, that was unedited. And that was taken from video. Right. So there was no, that was just him going at it. Talking about the differences between he and Hillary Clinton. So there are many. And like I've said, I think that uh, now is the time for the grassroots movement and support for Bernie Sanders to kind of kick into high gear and promote his candidacy to their friends, to their family, and to their neighbors if they want his success to continue. Well, and I think you're really going to see, depending on how the first Democratic debate goes, a jump for Bernie Sanders because a lot of those names, you know, Chafee, uh, Webb, I, yeah. can't, I can't even remember him and I talk Lincoln about Chafee, them. Lincoln Chafee, Jim Webb. There's another one that I'm forgetting. O'Malley. But yeah, O'Malley. And once you see these people on stage, I think it's going to be, you know, Sanders, Clinton, pretty head to head. And that debate is going to be very exciting, but also be a, a launching point for him to really show people this right. is me versus Clinton. Right. Well, it's You're also- seeing the comparison in real time. It's also going to be a launching point for those lesser known candidates to get out there like it was for Carly Fiorina. Right. Even though she was at the kids table, she was at the the, the lesser debate, (laughs) the B team debate. Yes. And she still made fodder out of that, although it's looking like she might not make this next debate at CNN. She's kind of raising hell over the fact that it looks like she's not going to be included. So kind of a bummer, but we'll see. All right. Moving on. Pew 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 So last time on the show, we put a link out on the Facebook page, and I'm sure we tweeted it several times, talking about our our desire for you to take this Pew Research Harvard University Implicit Association test and share your results with us. And I also took it, and Brittany has taken it, and we wanted to share. We wanted to first talk about the, the the test and then also talk about the results that everyone shared with us and just generally, I don't know, just kind of rap about it. Yeah, so it's the implicit association test and we had some people take it and put their responses up. Basically what the test is, you enter the test and you are shown photos of faces and they are white faces and 
black faces. Or as the test describes them, European American children and African American children. Right. And then you are shown pleasant words and unpleasant words. And like grief, um, tragedy. Smile, honest, sincere, lucky. Those are obviously pleasant words. Disaster, agony, hatred, grief, rotten, crash, tragedy. Yeah. Those are obviously unpleasant words. And they tell you, okay, match these words with these people. Then they switch it up and say, okay, now match these words with these people. And so they're kind of testing whether or not you can do it. And if you start to kind of implicitly match the unpleasant words with with the black faces or or the white faces right well they're just measuring your implicit association to the negative words to whichever color of skin of the of the photo right and so this is just a way to measure you know biased beliefs about races and accurately measuring racial attitudes is difficult psychologists say that biased racial views are sometimes buried deep in a person's subconscious the byproducts of exposure to popular culture the media and other factors to overcome these obstacles pew research center conducted an implicit association test a technique that psychologists say measures subconscious or hidden biases by tracking how quickly individuals associate good and bad words with specific racial groups and they found that whites prefer whites over blacks. Yeah. At 48%. And that blacks prefer blacks over whites, 45%. Mm-hmm. So you're, a lot of it is kind of selecting what you're familiar with. Sure. And it's your group of yeah. people. It's what you look like. It's what you're familiar with. Well, it's what you've been raised seeing. Like me, I was raised around white faces. Right. My parents were white. The children with whom I grew up were white. I, I grew up in a white environment. Right. So overall, the test found that about three quarters of respondents in each of the five racial groups, including those who are biracial, demonstrated some degree of implicit racial bias. Across the groups, only about 20 to 30 percent of those in the study were found to have little or no bias toward the races they were tested against. And Pew Research Center is careful to note, because of the pool of adults from which these samples were drawn, it is not representative of the adult population. Hmm. The results of this study should be viewed as exploratory science. Well, let's get this kicked off by, we want to share the results of the the first names of those who chose to share, so willingly share their results. And I think that's awesome. Thank you for doing so. But let me kick it off with mine, which I was shocked and disappointed by because I do not believe I am racist and I guess there is a difference between having implicit bias and being a racist but my my result was your data meaning me my data suggest a moderate automatic preference for European American children compared to African American children that kind of saddened me I was I was bummed out by that because I really thought also I thought I was doing well at not a, you know because it's timed too so yeah you have to move quickly if, I, I don't know I really thought that I was doing better than what my result was I can't imagine because there's there's also your data suggest a slight automatic preference preference which a couple people got and even one of them said no preference at all yeah so I got little to no preference yeah so there's little to no there's slight there's moderate which would be me so I guess I'm the asshole of the group 
well, there's probably then like heavy or a lot. I don't mm, know. Yeah. Um, sure. the, the most. Um, <laughs> Go no, kill yourself. No, no. And, and, and getting moderate doesn't, I mean, what, what we're saying is you're just more familiar with this group. You're more comfortable with this yeah. group. Although we will talk about some of the implications surrounding this. Well, I mean, this. at least it didn't say like, hey, well, slow down, Dylan Roof. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. There was no alert that popped up. But I, I also. Your, your data has been sent to the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> I also think that with me getting little to no preference, I also think that maybe part of that is that I knew what the test was because I had already had it explained to me in my class or whatever. And then I went and took it and there might be some part of me that was trying to answer in a particular way. I don't know. I understood what was going on real quick and it didn't really matter. Because I was even trying to think, I was trying to trick it in my head, like <laughs> black is good, white is bad, what, bl- black good, black good. Bl- so I was trying to, yeah. it didn't work, man. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan got slight preference toward European American children. Greg got little to no automatic preference. Alex got a moderate automatic preference for European American children. Oh, so I wasn't the only asshole. Good. Hey, welcome <laughs> to the club, Alex. <laughs> Jessica got little to no automatic preference. Michael got a slight automatic preference for African American children compared to European American children. Wow. Which is the is, and Michael's color is He is white. Huh. Yeah. Good. I mean, that's, I wish I was in his shoes. Instead, I'm over here in asshole land. He also (laughs) said the results made me feel a little like, he wrote little, so I just read it almost (laughs) like that. I'm so sorry that I did that. Um, Like Steve Martin in The Jerk. Oh, yeah. He raised a a poor black family. (laughs) Yeah. Funny. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get it because you've never seen the jerk. I have not. Oh, uh, classic American cinema. Um, and then Jared got a moderate implicit preference for white people compared to black people. Hmm. I think that he edited the way that that was worded. Yeah. Or maybe he <laughs> took a different test. I think some of them are with children and some of them are with adults. Huh? I think it's a fascinating, fascinating test. Okay, so getting back to the Pew Research stuff, the experiment also found that about half of all single-race whites in the Pew Research Center test automatically preferred whites over blacks, 48%, including about a third, 35%, who favored whites moderately to strongly. A quarter of all whites demonstrated an implicit bias for blacks, and a similar share, 27%, were race-neutral. So... What does all this mean, right? Because Jesse's feeling really bad about himself. And <laughs> finally. He's, 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 finally, I feel bad about myself. Yeah, he's really upset. <laughs> well, listen, I take pride in the fact that I'm not a racist. And I, I just I just automatically connect bias and racism, which maybe I shouldn't be doing. Because I want to use my higher mind. It's good that I that this that I took this because now I'm going to be checking myself constantly about is that bias? And thinking about it, because we are evolved creatures, and I'm able to make those kind of decisions and and think more deeply about what I'm doing and how I'm thinking. So I guess it's a good thing. So social scientists judge the value of a test such as the IAT, the Implicit Association Test, and that's what I will be referring to it as because I'm going to be saying that a lot and I don't want to say the whole thing, by its ability to predict how people will act. In the case of the race IAT, the question becomes, do IAT scores predict differences in how people treat different races? 
In a number of studies, researchers have found that the IAT predicted a range of race-based behaviors. Alexander R. Green of Harvard Medical School led a research team that found doctors' IAT scores predicted their attitudes toward their black and white heart patients and the treatment decisions they made. Wow. Specifically, Green found that the IAT, quote, revealed implicit preference favoring white Americans and implicit stereotypes of black Americans as less cooperative with medical procedures and less cooperative generally. The researchers also found that, quote, as physicians, pro-white implicit bias increased, so did their likelihood of treating white patients and not treating black patients with certain conditions. Other researchers have found that anti-black implicit attitudes of white freshmen who had been randomly assigned a black roommate predicted the success of the roommate relationship. So researchers caution that no social science test can perfectly predict racial, prejudiced, or other antisocial behaviors. After reviewing 122 research reports, the researchers who first developed the IAT conclude that the IAT scores correlated moderately with discriminatory judgments and behaviors. But only moderately. Right. So it's not a for sure thing. So I shouldn't feel so bad about myself. Right. (laughs) Their study also found that the IAT predicted racially based biased behaviors, quote, significantly more effectively than did the types of question asking measures that have long been used in studies of prejudice. So it is a good measure for prejudice and bias. Mm. It's moderately correlated with discriminatory judgments and behaviors. (laughs) But just because you got this result doesn't mean you're a bad person or any of that. So you can quit being a sad guy over there. I feel really sad, everybody. (laughs) But it's an interesting test. Yeah, super interesting. I, I I was fascinated by it. And it gives me a lot to think about, you know. So it's good. Anyway... And if you haven't taken it, we I think we still have it pinned to the top of the Facebook page. Go take it and share your results with us if you if you are brave enough. Uh, we would love to to talk a little bit more about it. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to call 657-464-7609 or of course email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. There's also many IAT tests. They have Asian IAT, President's oh, wow. IAT, Weapons IAT, Gender Science IAT, Weight IAT, a Fat Thin IAT. So, huh. yeah, you can take all kinds of different things and let you know where all of your biases yeah, are. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, we are going to wrap it up with this. Taking care of biz. John Cena. John Cena. Yes, he is a... He's the the wrestler, right? Yeah, he is a WWE wrestler, right? I, it's E. I thought we were going to wrap it up with this. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so we're not wrapping it up with no, that. No, that is the greatest thing in the world, but no. Um <laughs> John Cena, he was he just was starring in Trainwreck with Amy Schumer, so he's now a movie star. So yeah. he's not just a wrestler, well, but he's, he's been in other movies. He's in a movie called like The Marine or something. Terrible movie, I think, but he's been in other movies. Okay, and so he's on Taking Care of Biz, not for being a wrestler, but because he 
has fulfilled hundreds of Make-A-Wish. I was shocked. Right, of Make-A-Wish wishes for kids with cancer. We are here to celebrate a magnificent partnership with Make-A-Wish Foundation, and more specifically, John Cena granting his 500th wish. John has granted more wishes than any other celebrity in our 35-year history, and he's been doing it only since 2004. So I don't know what number he's going to get to uh, with the career that he's having. Very early on, when I found out the concept of the Make-A-Wish charity, it was something that I connected with. It's just a great charitable concept to be able to give young people that are in some difficult situations a chance to experience their dreams. We've had a number of celebrities that have granted over 100 wishes. To be quite honest, uh, John's in a whole different atmosphere. I wanted to meet him because he's strong, he's nice, and he's inspirational. Speaking about Rocco, like when I met him a while back, he's got leukemia and couldn't leave his hospital room. To see him now up, moving around on the Today Show, at the stock exchange, he opened the market. Like I made sure he opened the market. That's the end product. That's why we're doing all this. It's really cool to see that. When you see the smiles on these kids' faces, there is just nothing more rewarding. So WWE announced a multi-year partnership with Make-A-Wish Foundation and we are donating $1 million. These are kids who could wish for anything in the world. They could wish to go anywhere, to be anything, to have anything. They choose to meet John. I've seen a lot of families, I've seen a lot of kids, and I've seen a lot of great things happen. And I'm going to continue to do so as long as Make-A-Wish and WWE allow me to do so. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. His 500th wish. So the guy said he's been doing it since only since 2004. That's 11 years. That means... 45 times a year, if you're going to break this out, he's done this 45 times per year. That's like 15% of his time. That's, I mean, the 15% of the days in the year he's taken up doing this, that's a tremendous, and I don't mean to be Donald Trump over here, <laughs> but that, that's a tremendous time uh, dedication to, to, to an awesome charity. Yeah, it's a really beautiful thing, and I think... You know, when you look at the individuals that are wrestlers in the WWE, it's, you know, some people judge them like Jesse does, as you just heard come Uh, out of his mouth. No, 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 no. Now, let's let's straighten this out. I don't want to bring us down since this is the the feel-good segment before we end the show. I don't judge the wrestlers. I judge the adult fan of the wrestlers. If the kid, like this Rocco kid, who is a, a leukemia survivor... Or sufferer, he. This is. Uh, I don't blame him for being a, a fan of the WWE. It's the the grown men who I think it's wacky. But let's not go there. I, it's a beautiful thing. What a wonderful thing that John Cena is dedicating an immense amount of his time, free of charge, to help this organization help the lives, and sometimes the short lives, of these beautiful children. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize the celebrities that that do this kind of stuff. I have heard people be kind of negative and say, "Oh, well, they're just doing this to get attention," and blah blah blah. Ugh. Well, you know what? They're C- helping C- kids. Cynical dicks. They're helping kids. They are, like you said. I mean, a significant amount of his time and and days are being 
used to help people and make people feel better and whatever the motivation is according to some people good it's making kids feel better what's it matter if his motivation is other than completely altruistic if he's making a kid who who will likely die feel good for a day i just Right. Good for him. And apparently his kind of wrestling mantra when he's performing on the WWE is never give up. Like he wears that on his clothes and stuff. Cool. And so he, no, so that's the message that these kids really yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And he like, he gives them shirts that say never give up. And like, that's good. Wrestling sweat towels. He's one of the good guys. I like it. All right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. We appreciate you guys very much. We love you each and every episode that you spend listening to your favorite show, Filled with news. News. And ridiculous comment. Like I said, go check out the Patreon page if you'd like to take part in that. We're going to be putting out our review of the debate, our breakdown of the debates, the next ones that are coming up this month, September, and then October. So go check that out. If you'd also like to support the show other than listening twice a week, you can go to dollamore.com. On the left-hand side of the page, there's a link to go through to Amazon to buy shop to your heart's content of the wonderment at amazon.com every little bit goes a long way and we appreciate you and love you very much until next time for Brittany Page I am Jesse Dollamore and this has been I Doubt It If it takes my life I will die for it